What's up, Disrupt Nation? So my name is Anthony Delgado, and this is another episode of the Disrupt Podcast. And today we have a really, really special guest doing amazing work on the island of Puerto Rico. I've been following her work for, for the past few years and really an inspirational story, an inspirational company, really making a huge impact in the universe, Sophia Stolberg. Sophia Stolberg is an entrepreneur, mentor, and entrepreneur of the entrepreneurship ecosystem, uh, development experience across diverse industries and international markets. She is the CEO of Pilotos 151, Puerto Rico's first co-working space and growth platform for entrepreneurs. She was recently recognized by the Small Business Administration and the White House as one of 50 organizations nationwide developing the most innovative programs for high growth potential entrepreneurs to thrive. Sophia, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for the opportunity. Hi. So, so tell us, tell tell our guests, uh, anyone who's been living under a rock who does not know your story, um, um, how did you get started with your company, and what was your ambitions for uh, creating it? So, when we started Piloto, it was the end of 2013. The financial crisis worldwide was already uh, a big part of what was going on on the island as well. Our depression started in 2006. So by 2010, the real estate market had collapsed and our family had some property in the old city and some real estate assets that we couldn't move. And meanwhile, my brother Juan Carlos and I, we were both uh, leading our own companies. He's a lawyer and he had a law firm and I was doing management consulting all over Latin America and the U.S. uh, to shape entrepreneurship ecosystems. And we both needed a place to work out of. So he said, why don't we turn one of our buildings into a co-working space? Now, at the time, that was really disruptive because there was no co-working in Puerto Rico. In fact, nobody knew what co-working was. So that was part of the challenge of starting up. But uh, after a lot of education and a lot of events, we uh, managed to make it a thing. <laughs> Absolutely. So you guys really solved your own problem. You guys were like um, traveling and in other cities where you uh, would operate that were co-working spaces. And you in your in your home uh, town, there wasn't. So you literally solved your own problem. And I guess you and your brother were your first customers. Is that right? That's exactly right. Super, super cool. So, um, so this is like back in 2013. I think co-working just worldwide was almost a new thing. I mean, WeWork was probably just sort of at its infancy. And, you know, the entrepreneurial space uh, has definitely evolved a lot in the last 10 years. Like, um, you know, I got started 10 years ago and I talk about how in New York City, there wasn't even a Google headquarters. Sure. And so, but I could only imagine in Puerto Rico the entrepreneurial mindset um, probably wasn't there and probably wasn't, it still isn't even there now to the full capacity that it could be. So, what are some things that you guys do? Um, you mentioned like workshops and meetups. What are some of the things you guys do to help foster that ecosystem? Yeah, so a lot has changed in five years, thankfully. <laughs> five years ago. Um, <laughs> We were one of the few entrepreneurship ecosystem players around. The startup and tech community was so small. We started doing events, and it's actually pretty funny in hindsight, but it was always the same people. 
right? So, so we would do, mm-hmm. we would uh-huh. have meetups <laughs> and uh, coding meetups and you know tech meetups, and it was always just you know see the same people. Be like, hey, it's you again. How are you? We just saw each other last month. Awesome. <laughs> uh, but then one interesting thing happened. So, and I and I think this really actually happened overnight. Uh, when Puerto Rico's bonds hit junk status, something changed in the atmosphere. All of a sudden, more people had lost their jobs. More entrepreneurs were noticing that their current business models weren't working out and they needed to reinvent themselves. More students started coming out to these events and saying, hey, I need to figure out what I'm going to do when I graduate. And so then the tide started shifting. Then we started seeing people we had never seen before, of all ages, of all backgrounds, coming to our events. And we said, okay, now something interesting is going to happen. And lo and behold, you know, more entrepreneurs uh, started creating businesses and started thinking about new markets outside of Puerto Rico as well to expand their existing ventures. And... Today, and also more entrepreneurship ecosystem players started joining the ecosystem or started becoming more active or revamping their programs to fit the new landscape. So all this contributed to the fact that today our ecosystem is in a very different spot from where it was five years ago. Right now, I would say that things are looking good, despite obviously the aftermath of Hurricane Maria um, and the obvious financial crisis that we're still in, I would say the entrepreneurship ecosystem has never been stronger. Um, We have new programs and um, lots of entrepreneurs uh, starting companies and thinking global from the onset. And uh, lots of entrepreneurs also coming down to Puerto Rico and thinking this is a great spot to start and scale. So lots of good things happening right now. That that is incredible, and I I don't know if you know this, but I will be joining those entrepreneurs traveling to the island. Uh, uh, August first is my flight, and I will be a full time uh, Puerto Rican resident starting August first. So I'm part of uh, part of that revolution. <laughs> That's great. That's exactly what we need more of, and you know, we invite everyone to come to Puerto Rico. This is an island paradise, of course, but. There are lots of other reasons to come and live here and start and scale a company. Definitely. So that's incredible. So around what year did you start seeing that shift where um, it's almost out of necessity, right? It's like I'm not going to, uh, you know, the nine to five kind of blue blue collar, get a 401k, uh, quote unquote, American dream. That dream is being shattered all across the country. It's not only in Puerto Rico. And yeah. people are realizing that they have to start their own businesses, that they have to become entrepreneurial, um, even if it's even if it's on a small scale, uh, to uh, create stability for themselves. Right? If you work for a giant corporation and you get laid off, that's super super out of your control. Um, but if you're running your own business, there may be ups, there may be downs, but you do have that that stability. And then you also mentioned like thinking globally, right? Yeah. So uh, around what year was was that shift? Wow, I would say around 2015 is when we really started seeing that tide turning. Um, before that, I mean, we, we, we obviously, we always had uh, 
people coming down, nomad workers uh, mm-hmm. looking us up, and you know, of course, uh, joining Piloto and and a few uh, startups from the ecosystem and and in companies here. But in 2015, things really just started taking off. That's incredible. Yeah. So you mentioned briefly uh, Hurricane Maria, right? Yes. So how <laughs> the big elephant in the room, right? Everybody yeah, the talks big, the big it. elephant in the room, right? Um, that's actually how how I got involved. Uh, I guess back involved with my roots um, in going to Puerto Rico was the hurricane. So the the hurricane happened. Um, me and a buddy of mine who's also uh, from Puerto Rican heritage, uh, we purchased a pallet of water we purchased uh food and supplies and we dropped it off at a location and then we like gave ourselves a pat on the back and a few months later like the 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 island still didn't have power yeah. uh so so we planned the pilgrimage out there we gave away 300 solar panel lights food water supplies um but now it's it, we're coming up on the one year anniversary it's a year later it is so, a year later so i guess my, my question is um uh what were what were some of the effects then and now what has been the progression to now? Wow. Well, that's a very broad question, Anthony. <laughs> but <laughs> I'll narrow it down to the entrepreneurship well, how, well, how, were, how were you guys? How were you guys affected, uh, I guess, in, in Old San Juan where you guys are? Sure. So we have two locations, actually. We have one in Old San Juan and one in Santurce. Um our Santurce location had a full backup generator, and we were one of the first lo- locations in all of the island to actually be up with Wi-Fi and, uh, you know, fully functioning building uh, three days after Maria. So we were a small oasis, and our uh, co-working there is only 8,000 square feet. The one in San Juan is about 14,000 square feet, and we were down in Old San Juan. We didn't have a backup generator here. It's a lot harder to get those in the old city. It's Mm -hmm. really just a construction project. Um, And we were out for three months. So we had wait lists that, you know, were were hundreds of people long, I think probably thousands. Uh, (laughs) And (laughs) Santurce was just full of people. We just, the phone kept ringing and, you know, we we wanted to help uh, more people, but it was impossible. We only had 8,000 square feet. So uh, it was, it was a very tough situation, I think, for, for everyone on the island. We, um, we grew as a result of Hurricane Maria, and I think a lot of us that survived and even thrived as a result of what happened in the aftermath, uh, looking back on it now, we're, we're ready for anything, right? Just bring it on. <laughs> make it, if you make it in post-Maria, Puerto Rico, you can make it anywhere, my friend. <laughs> I, I love that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're just meaner, we're tougher, we're, we're more badass than we've ever been. And we're all uh, looking to new markets, scaling, growing, and, and taking off, right? But the flip side of that and, and the sad part is that not a lot of entrepreneurs had the combination of luck uh, and, of course, timing that we did. Um, I think... You know, the, the Small Business Administration estimates that about 40% of businesses shut down right after Maria. So that, that's wow. that's a ton, right? That's a ton of businesses that uh, 
never opened, never reopened after after the hurricane. Um, and so it's like what that. what doesn't kill you, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Makes so the businesses that are there stronger, are yes. super resilient. Yeah, you know they're they're on steroids now. They're like nothing can stop us. Um, but in the aftermath, wow, that's amazing. Forty percent of of businesses did not reopen. Yeah, that's that's an estimate, of course, but it's it could even be worse, to be honest. Um, but it's it's accurate. I mean, if you think about it, the some people you know still don't have power in Puerto Rico a year later. It's obviously the minority now, but a lot of people did not get power until four, five, six months after the hurricane. That's a long time if you don't have a cash reserve and if you, if you can't, uh, if you're not prepared for that type of time frame, right? And not most most businesses don't have that type of cash. Enough yeah, cash no. to retain your employees for six months without being able to open. I mean, it's 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 a ton. Yeah. And, you know, I think there was uh, like an exodus, right, of the middle class. So the, you know, the people who are who are well off, uh, upper middle class and, and uh, higher class, they stayed on the island because they had the resources, like you said, to weather the storm, to go months without having revenue, etc. cetera. Uh, the people that were, um, you know, kind of on the bottom of the economic um uh, playing field uh, stayed just out of necessity. They don't have the resources to just up and move to Orlando, up and move to New York. Um, and then it was really the middle class that left. So do you see uh, now the lights are back on and things are uh, back to normal? Are people coming back or are they staying um, in the places that they left to? Huh. Well, I can tell you from, from our circle of friends and from the entrepreneurship ecosystem players, yes. And, and you know, obviously a lot of startups – did leave and come back and they used the opportunity like we did to explore new markets and to start thinking about how they could expand those products and those services outside of Puerto Rico. So that was really great for a lot of uh, startup founders uh, because it basically it was, it was a push out of necessity. So we, we all said, okay, yeah, we, we have to make the move. We have to look at other markets now. But for freelancers, for instance, um, it was a very different story. So one of the things that happened in the aftermath of the hurricane was a lot of the tech folks, right? A lot of people that we've been trained in our coding academy. So I don't know if you know, but we also have uh, a coding boot camp. It's the only one on the island. It's called Code Trotters. Um, we've been around for about three and a half years now, and we've trained over 400 people in full stack development and mobile. And yeah. And so a lot of the folks uh, in the freelance tech community they had to leave, right? I mean, they didn't have they didn't have power. They couldn't work. Yeah. And some of these folks, like, even did freelance work for companies stateside. So we started looking for opportunities for them to uh, leave the island temporarily and perhaps come back and continue doing remote work. But it was hard. It was a it was a hard transition period for uh, for a lot of freelancers on the island. No, absolutely. I mean, I've I've freelanced. I've been, uh, I guess, a metropolitan digital nomad for for quite some years. Digital marketer. I love working remote. Even when I've worked in corporate, I, I always kind of make sure there's some sort of remote policy in there. But um, but the thing that I always say is, all I need is Wi-Fi and a dream. And now, when you lose the Wi-Fi, the- it's kind of hard to like pay your rent on dreams, right? <laughs> 
exactly, exactly. Um, but I do so, think that more that more people are now thinking of coming back, and a lot of people from the diaspora are seeing new opportunities in this in this climate, right? Because, of course, after all the devastation and the human, humanitarian crisis, and uh, the flock of people moving stateside around over two hundred thousand people that left, right, in, in the aftermath. Um, people are now looking to Puerto Rico, and not just Puerto Ricans, not just diaspora uh, people, but but others are looking to Puerto Rico and saying, now there's there's a ton more opportunity than there was in the past, because uh, in many ways there's a blank slate. So yeah. there's a willingness uh, by everyone, not just private sector folks, but also government, to rethink what's possible and to think about disruptive technology and next generation technology that they would have never thought about before, right? So obviously when we think about the energy infrastructure here on the island, uh, people are talking about all sorts of alternatives, right? Not just traditional fossil fuels, which is what we've relied on uh, in our history. Um, and in the same way, it's a good testing ground for pilot projects, right? I mean, that's that's really how our name came about, right? Piloto is, is pilot uh, in Spanish, and it's about starting small and trying new things. And now you can try things that you couldn't before because of the landscape. So... So I think that's pretty exciting. And we definitely are that first point of contact for a lot of people looking to move down to Puerto Rico, um, Puerto Ricans and, and other folks. And we're, we're seeing a lot, a lot more people coming down, thinking about it, uh, willing to start up and to scale because of the new climate here. Definitely. So in the renewable energy space, I mean, like solar just seems like it would make so much, so much sense. There's just tons of sunshine uh, in Puerto Rico. What what trends have you seen in the in the solar energy space? And do you, do you feel it's a a practical um, means to replace uh, fossil fuels? Absolutely, absolutely. There's been, I mean, even in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria, um, remote locations that didn't get that that didn't get power until just very recently, if at all. Uh, communities have been gathering to create their own solar panel systems, right? And we know plenty of organizations led by friends of ours that are literally going off to the mountains and installing solar power panels and have been doing it uh, since the hurricane hit. So um, there's a lot of growth in that sector right now. There's also discussion of utilizing blockchain uh, in the in a in a solar panel grid system. And yes, the mic the micro grid. I'm friends with a few, few of the guys working on that uh, stuff. It's so interesting. Yeah, super interesting. So there's there's definitely a lot of openness in trying new things, which is always really important to trigger innovation in any ecosystem. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's the ultimate pain point, right? And and uh, startups are successful when they're solving a real problem, right? There's so many startups in the ecosystem. Um, you know, I was I was at a a technology accelerator called Founders um, before I started Disrupt, and you know, 
there's tons of entrepreneurs who are just looking for a um, solution to a problem that doesn't exist, right? Agreed. So in Puerto Rico, there's all these real problems and it's like, great, how can we use this blank slate and uh, use kind of this blank canvas to paint the vision for the future, paint the solutions to all of these actual problems that people are dealing with? Yeah, that's exactly what's happening, which is why it's so exciting to think about the future here. Definitely. So we um, we were recently down there for the um, the Porto Crypto uh, Conference that uh, took place, and there's all these cryptocurrency uh, investors and uh, enthusiasts and developers who are moving down uh, to the island and, and seeing a uh, resurgence and an, and an opportunity to uh, turn Puerto Rico into like this crypto paradise. So what, what have you seen in that space? And uh, what, what, are your, what are your predictions for, for trends of Puerto Rico adopting crypto? So, I mean, yes, there's definitely a trend of people moving down in that space. I think it's just one more space uh, that is, uh, that's moving down. There's obviously people moving down from every industry. Um, I think... What's interesting about people moving down in that space is, for, for Puerto Rico at least, is the ability to think about blockchain to disrupt government services, right? So yes. cryptocurrency is just one use case for the blockchain, and that's great, and there's definitely a lot of crypto people coming down as well. But what, uh, what can happen here is because of that openness uh, in government and private sector and the nonprofit sector and just everywhere in general, we can actually start thinking about solutions uh, for, for government services and for improving those government services. So we locally, we had the Government Blockchain Association chapter on the island, and that basically is an international organization at this point. There are over 100 cities around the world. And what we think about is how can you apply the blockchain to solve big problems for society through government? And um, it's a pretty popular meetup. So we meet up every month and over a hundred people show up. Uh, and that's really what we're, we're uh, most thinking about in that sector. Obviously we're also uh, involved in uh, making sure that there's going to be uh, friendly legislation in this new space. And I think, you know, it, it is exciting because for once Puerto Rico is actually early to the game <laughs> So in the past, <laughs> economic development policies have been centered around technology that has just been around for over 10 years. At one point, there was a move, uh, a big push for biotech. And to be honest, we were like 10 years late to that game. Um, <laughs> so, so I think that's what's actually exciting about blockchain people moving down to Puerto Rico. Uh, as opposed to just saying crypto people, I think that there is uh, a unique opportunity there. Uh, it is very early in the game in that technology, and a lot can happen. And certainly all eyes and ears are on Puerto Rico right now with recent developments in that movement. And I think the key there, though, is to ensure that we are able to train local talent to be a part of that, 
right? So yes. for us at mm-hmm. Code Trotters, it is super important that we're able to get local developers uh, up to speed in blockchain technology and Solidity and Hyperledger and whatnot, and uh, to make sure that they can participate and they can get hired by the companies that are moving down here and they can eventually you know, create their own or think about growth in the space. So that's what we're mostly preoccupied with right now in terms of that space per se. We've had um, some intro blockchain courses already, and we are now making a push for more hands-on developer side training uh, in the blockchain space. Definitely. No, that's, that's amazing. It's so education is just so important. And, you know, it's, it's like you plant these seeds in a human being and then you watch them grow. Right. So you, you teach, uh, you know, you, you said you've, you've taught, um, hundreds of, of students already and, you know, you plant those seeds and then you look four years down the line and now this guy's founding a company and this guy's working for uh, uh, Google and this guy's changed his career and this guy's supporting his family with those skills. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's really just uh, amazing the seeds that you can plant. Um, here, here up north, we have a program called Newark Kids Code where we teach uh, STEM and, and coding to middle school kids. Awesome. And... Um, you know, again, you plant that seed in middle school and four years goes by like that. And in four years, these kids are graduating from high school. They're adults. Um, and then you, you watch them and they're, and they're going and they're majoring in computer science and they're going to, um, you know, going on to, to further their careers. Um, so yeah, education is super important. Um, in the blockchain space, I would love to, uh, connect you with a good friend of mine. He's an ex Googler and he started a website. Um, and kind of a virtual blockchain training called uh, Study the Blockchain. Oh, cool. And yeah, and it's all, it's virtual, but it's not, um, it's not online, like pre-recorded. It's like Zoom calls, like a, like a really in, in-depth live yeah, uh, coding school. Awesome. Yeah, one-to-one with mentoring. So I, I'd love to connect you with them. Yeah, we'd love um, to connect After the show. Sure. <laughs> um, so... I noticed that you guys run the Startup Grind chapter yeah. uh, down in Puerto Rico. It's very, very exciting. We we actually run the Startup Grind uh, up here in Newark, New Jersey. So tell us, how did you guys get involved with the Startup Grind and what um, what benefits and, and, and what year did that happen and what, what, what shifts did you see happen uh, as a result to that partnership with the Google for Entrepreneurship program? So actually, Startup Grind is really recent in our ecosystem, and it's directed locally by Pablo Tirado and Nanette Martinez. Um, we just basically sponsor the space and uh, co-promote with them. Um, but it's it's been around, I would say, only about four or five months. I think there's, oh, it's so exciting. Yeah, it's really new, but there are also a lot of other events that happen in our ecosystem. So... Um, we were the first to bring down Fuck Up Nights, which started in Mexico City by a good friend of mine. And it's now in over 200 cities around the world. And that's one of my favorite events ever because it really gives entrepreneurs a chance to talk about their failures and how they stood up again and became more resilient as a result and more successful later on as a result. And I think those are the types of stories that people that are new to this game that have never started up need to hear, right? Because 
all too often we get invited to talk about how successful we've been and, you know, all the great things that we've accomplished, but the truth to the matter is that none of that could have been accomplished had we not screwed up a lot <laughs> in the process. So that's a great uh, event that we always host. Um, there's also a ton of other events. We have hack nights. We have... Um, we used to have One Million Cups in our ecosystem. We have the San Juan Tech Meetup. Uh, and we have just a ton of entrepreneurial events. At this point, there's so many entrepreneurial events going on that we often double book events. And that's great, actually. That's when you know that the, that the needle is being pushed and that you're closer to achieving critical mass. So we, uh, we were also very closely involved in um, founding Colmena 66, which is now a program of the Science and Technology Trust here on the island. And the whole mission of Colmena 66 is really to, first of all, uh, educate entrepreneurs in terms of everything that's going on. So there's a shared calendar of all the entrepreneurship activities that are happening uh, that goes out every week which is awesome. But in addition to that, it's a hotline and you can also go online and any entrepreneur on the island from a micro company all the way through to a high growth company can log in or call and be connected with all the resources in the ecosystem that can support them. So that's, that's pretty neat too. Oh, that's so cool. And and was that built like in-house? Was that like built with Twilio? It sounds like a Twilio project. No, <laughs> no it's a lot more complicated. It's got a back end. <laughs> it's really robust and that uh, refers candidates uh, to different organizations. So that was actually um, – uh, a U.S. source link project, and that's a, also a Kauffman Foundation-run program um, that is now in the University of Missouri, and it's in over 20 cities across the U.S., um, and that's really what it's powered by. Very interesting. It reminds me of, like, 311 for startups yeah, in yeah, yeah. Manhattan. Yeah, I don't know. Do, do you guys have 311 out there in Manhattan? There's that 311. It's like 911 for non-emergencies. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so that's that's so cool. So that's that's, that's cool. really the point of that. Yeah. So lots of really exciting things happening right now. So so you're helping people to learn to code. You're helping people to learn entrepreneurship to um, have the uh, again like that match uh, get sparked and really really fostering the the ecosystem. So I just want to acknowledge you for being such an amazing human being and, and really, um, you know, fostering and doing all this work for the past five years. I, I really, it's, it's, it's super amazing. And it just shows that, you know, that one person can really change the world. One person can have just such a massive impact. And I'm, I'm sure that you are not even, um, aware of the impact of the ripple effect that the things that you're doing um has so again i just want to thank you and, and acknowledge you for that thank you i mean i think it's still you know very very early in in terms of what is possible in our ecosystem but i hope that in the next five years we have one at least one company that uh, was founded here that relocated here that makes it big right because that's the type of situation that you need for an ecosystem to reach the next level 
and uh, I think we're closer. Um, so yeah, you want is, the next yeah. the next Facebook to come out of Puerto Rico? Yeah, right? we just need one, right? I mean, look at what happened in Estonia <laughs> with Skype. So just one to make it. <laughs> and I think the elements are finally are finally there, right? Um, I would say one of the bigger challenges that we have right now in our ecosystem is the dev talent. Um, mm. So even though we do have this coding boot camp, we, we just can't train enough people, right? I mean, I'd like to, to train a thousand people per year, not, you know, 200. Um, and that that's challenging because um, every startup needs talent to scale. And obviously there's, there's a tech talent scarcity problem all over the U.S., but we also have that issue here. And so, no, yeah, absolutely. Well, and another thing, I'm a huge proponent of coding boot camps and alternative education. Yeah. Um, but there is um, no substitute for real world experience, right? It takes time. So you can put a kid through a boot camp, yeah, but they, it takes time. It takes, uh, like you said, like the the fuck up nights, right? It it takes a lot of fuck ups and a lot of failures and a lot of trials and tribulations um, to really earn your stripes and and um, you know, and kind of predict problems before they happen Absolutely. because they've happened at other startups before. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so we train talent and then they're ready for, then they're ready for an internship, right? <laughs> Cause they need, yeah. <laughs> they need real world experience. And uh-huh. even though we make our boot camp very practical and they all have a project that they work on that they do in demo day and graduation, they they still need much more practice, and that's part of it. So I know that Microsoft has a campus um, on the island. Do, are they running dev out of Puerto Rico, or is that just like more of a corporate location? So I can't really speak about Microsoft here on the island because we don't really do much together. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I know that they have their their individual efforts, but uh, they haven't been huge proponents of of the tech would, ecosystem here. So yeah, it would be nice. It would be nice to see them maybe get a little bit more involved. I'm I'm friends with some of them in uh, in New York and California, and they do do some fun stuff. So it, it'd be it'd be nice. And I haven't heard anything, right? Like I haven't really heard a peep about uh, this yeah. location in, in Puerto Rico. I think most people don't even know that they have like an office there. No, they do. So, they and- do. It's just, it's a very different mindset, the local office from, uh, from Microsoft like internationally. Yeah. Mm. I mean, and we've always been really big supporters of open data and open government and open systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Microsoft is now at an international level making the, those moves, but it hasn't really trickled down to the Microsoft office here. And so um, we don't really have, you know, a, a great working relationship with them. But that, that's that interesting. Changes, it almost it almost sounds like it's <laughs> it's the old Microsoft, right? Like is, we have the new yeah. Microsoft now that like yeah. acquired GitHub exactly, and they're trying to be cool and like exactly. t-shirts. So, but it's like the internationally they're still like wearing suits and like yeah, we're a Microsoft. Well, here, and, like, the here old in Puerto IBM Rico, guys, it's right? still very much the old Microsoft. We we are still waiting for for the new Microsoft <laughs> to to arrive. But but Very with open cool. arms when they do, right? I mean, yeah. they can definitely yeah, totally. hit us up as soon as they're ready to talk openness. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> super cool, super cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reach out to some people, see if we can find some of the t-shirt wear Microsoft guys to come, uh, uh, come to the island. Yeah, it's, it's very insightful. I, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I call it how it is, you know. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Um, oh, so real quick, I don't want to step over this. Um, it's it's in my show notes here. Uh, Act 20 and Act 22, right? So we're speaking a little bit about like these crypto guys, and a lot of them are just moving there for tax incentives, right? Um, what what opportunities are to be had for startups for Act 20 and Act 22, people who don't know about about those incentives? What are they, and, and why should startups care? Yeah, sure. So a lot of the folks that are coming down to Puerto Rico, I'd say probably – all of them or most of them, uh, are taking advantage of the tax incentives. Puerto Rico has world-class tax incentives in place. They've been in place since 2012. And essentially, there's a whole suite of incentives that makes it really awesome to do business and to scale from the island. So what Act 20 does is for companies that are established here, uh, it gives them a, an effective 4% corporate income tax rate on everything that they export. And exports include U.S. mainland, right? So uh, so that's a huge incentive right there. It's 0% on dividends. And uh, it's really meant to... And, and local companies can also be Act 20 companies. So it's not just people that come from abroad. Uh, and it really is an incentive to trigger economic development in the export sector. So that's really awesome. Act 22 is for individuals, not for corporations. And that is more geared towards um, passive income and 0% on capital gains um, and 0% on dividends. And so it's, it's a great tax incentive for, uh, for individuals coming down as well. There are also a whole host of other incentives in different sectors. So in manufacturing, in uh, green technology, in finance, uh, you name it, we have a tax incentive. <laughs> and one of the things that we do at Piloto is we seek to be that one-stop shop for entrepreneurs and for professionals or even freelancers moving down to the island. So we take care of everything. We, uh, we've probably, through uh, Juan Carlos's law firm, done about 10% of all like 20, 22 applications on the island. Um, and we basically take people from incorporation through to the tax incentives. We help them with staffing as well. We have a, a boutique staffing agency as well, uh, specialized in tech talent, of course. Uh, and uh, we do infrastructure, tech infrastructure. We can help you set up your uh, your office here. We do all sorts of entrepreneurial services. The idea being that you don't have to deal with any of the red tape and we'll take care of everything for you. So cool. So if you want to move to Puerto Rico and start your startup and start one of these um, Act 20 companies, um, you guys are just a one-stop shop. You just go in there, you get the tech talent, you get the legal, and you, you get co-working space. And um, and I, I I imagine that you guys have kind of figured a lot of this stuff out over the last five years. <laughs> <Absolutely>. um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's super cool. 
So, so you guys actually, uh, speaking of which, are coming up on a huge milestone, right? Five years in operation. And uh, I understand you guys are working on your third location. We are, yes. So November 1st is our big launch. And we will be what? opening in the financial district. It's going to be really exciting. Oh, it's so exciting. Yeah, it's a great space. And the benefit of being a Beautiful member is also that you can use any of our locations, right? So you just get a global pass and you can go work in San Jose or in Old San Juan or in the financial district now. And many more surprises are coming up now with our five-year anniversary. Uh, we're really excited about all the things that are happening in the ecosystem and all the new things that are in store. That's super, super exciting. And if people want to uh, book space uh, in the new location, are you guys taking pre-orders yet or when does that start? We are. August 15th, we're officially starting our uh, pre-order and pre-sales process. And you will find more information on that on our website, which is www.piloto151.com. That's very, very exciting. Yeah. Um, I also understand that you guys are uh, involved in uh, a lot of women in tech initiatives. So yes. can you tell us a little bit more about that? I am super passionate about that topic in particular because, as you know, there are very few women in tech. In fact, it's only about 25% of computing jobs. And then when you look at uh, females in leadership positions like Silicon Valley companies, it's only like 11%. And then it's only about... 5% uh, women tech founders. So <laughs> I think those numbers wow. are insane and we absolutely need to do something about it. And I also think it's time to actually do something about it, right? So many of us in tech have been invited traditionally to talk at tech panels at different conferences internationally. And it's always sort of the, the token, like, women in tech and tell us about your struggle. And so that's that's cool to to a degree, but but now it's really time for action. And so that is why we founded uh, this initiative called Women Tech Over. And the whole point of it is to provide a space for women in tech to actually talk about their cool tech instead of their struggle. So mm, uh, it's monthly that. meetups, and we had our first meetup a few months ago. And our first speaker was Camille Burkhardt. She's a super badass. She's the CIO of the largest bank here, Banco Popular. Um, and she talked about robots, you know, and AI <laughs> and how to implement them even if you're not uh, a techie. And it was awesome, okay? And every month we've been doing these meetups. We also started doing some workshops just for women uh, on coding, and we found that those have been really popular. Um, we try at Code Trotters to keep the number, the ratios of women to men um, more balanced. So uh, mostly we're at about 40% women in our Code Trotters classes, which is actually really high. Uh, but, but then we all of a sudden found that there are some women that just want to learn in all-female environment and are more comfortable in those settings and we've started doing those coding workshops as well which is really exciting and eventually we're also going to be posting jobs and figuring out how we can help companies and startups to be more inclusive and to have 
more more inclusive environments in the workforce, right? Especially after you know all the mainstream media uh, drama around Google and then Uber and all these big tech companies uh, mm-hmm. with cultures that uh, work cultures that were not inclusive. So uh, that's what we're up to in Women Tech Over, and we are also planning an expansion into other markets in Latin America and the U.S. as well. So uh, stay tuned for that. Very exciting. I love that. And I, and I love, you know, uh, inclusion, but, uh, you know, highlighting the tech, highlighting what, what women are actually doing in tech rather than, like you said, kind of like this tokenism. Um, I just did a uh, show with Lenore Porter and uh, she's huge in, in like Afro tech and women in tech and just a really super positive human being. And we were talking about how, you know, there's this judgmental stigma that even uh, when a woman enters the tech force or when a uh, someone from a diverse background, whether uh, Latino or African-American, um, enters the tech workforce, their culture has to actually shift. They have to ha- actually, quote unquote, act white or, or ch- change who they are just to assimilate. Yeah. And even like the, the quote unquote culture fit, right? Like that's usually the first part of an interview uh for a tech job is the quote-unquote culture fit and we were talking about how that can even be systemically biased where it's like okay are you the right culture fit and it's like well what does that mean right um if if i listen to hip-hop or bachata does that mean that i'm not the right culture fit right um so i love the fact that you guys are actually highlighting the real tech uh rather than the um the illusion of um of inclusivity so sophia um tell us about like one of your most challenging moments when you were first starting the company and and how you guys were able to overcome it so when we first started the biggest challenge was lack of information people didn't know what co-working was so for the first few months we'd receive all these potential clients They'd come into the office, into our space, and as I mentioned before, it's 14,000 square feet, so it's pretty big. They'd look at all this open space and be like, wait a second, what? You want me to work <laughs> with other work people next to someone? Yeah, that where's the I door? don't I know that are door. not <laughs> in my company? <laughs> and immediately they'd ask us for the private offices, and so you know, we showed them our private offices, and we were still really not convinced that this is a good idea. And at that point, you know, my brother and I, we looked at each other and we're like, wait a second, we really need to just get out there and start explaining and doing events. So that's when we really started doing all of those entrepreneurial events. And quickly we became the house for the startup community here on the island. So, and for, for the tech scene and for entrepreneurs that were just getting started. And that's how a lot of people started getting to know Piloto. They started coming in the door and then really understanding what was beneficial about co-working. And uh, so that's, that's how we, we turned that around. Uh, another thing that, 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 I, that I like to say is, you know, when you're in this space, uh, it's a capital-intensive industry. And obviously... Uh, we had to do an initial build-out. And when you do build-outs in old San Juan, in a historic zone, what people don't realize is there are no construction plans, right? It's just as is. 
And so within a construction, you can find things that you weren't expecting and your costs go way up. And by the time we were finished with our build out, we didn't have money for furniture. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so, so, so we were like, okay, so we, we had budgeted this amount. Now we have a fraction of that. How on earth are we going to put furniture in 14,000 square feet of space? And one of the things that has now become sort of iconic of the Piloto brand is I said to my brother, you know what? We're just going to go with ping pong tables. I think it's cool. (laughs) (laughs) We bought ping pong tables and those are, you know, we still have them around. People love the ping pong tables. It became part of our brand. But oh, so was, people are working on them. People yeah. are like with their laptops. Oh, that's yeah, so cool. It's yeah. like, oh, this is the cheapest conference room exactly. table. It's just a big ping pong table. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I love that. Now we have custom ones, you know, but but in the early days, it was just, you know, a regular ping pong table and and people ended up loving it and it became, as I mentioned, part of our brand. So I think that when you're starting up, it's really important to not get stuck in the actual problem that you're facing and think about innovative solutions that can take you where you need to go and fast. And so that was just one early example of something that we did that ended up being iconic to our brand. That, that's amazing. I love that. And really not being not being paralyzed by, by a problem like that, right? Absolutely. Like just, you know, this is, we're, we're going to grab ping pong tables because that's what's readily accessible. And and it was almost like a benefit, right? It's probably cooler than any other table that you would have bought. We have ping pong <laughs> tournaments all the time. People play ping pong after they go work. It's really fun. Very cool. So my next question is, what what message would you want to send to all the inspiring entrepreneurs, um, people that look up to you, and just people in the in the ecosystem that are looking to start a company for the first time? I think the most important thing is that you need to think big. And you need to think big from the get-go. So really, it's about envisioning what your company will look like in five, ten years and how you're able to get there. And one of the things that, you know, we, we, we um, ran Founder Institute here in Puerto Rico for, for a while, and that's one of the things that, early on is determinant on whether or not you're going to have success if you build a company for a global market from the get-go. So I think that has been changing a lot on the island. Before, we used to see a lot of entrepreneurs thinking just about the local market, but now there are many entrepreneurs that from the get-go are uh, penetrating global markets, and that's what's really important. Start small uh, and then scale, but always focus on what's important because this market is way too small (laughs) and there is a huge market out there uh globally and that's that's i think what what we need to work on as as entrepreneurs in this ecosystem get beyond the island and beyond uh you know the the ocean that separates us from the rest of the world and really export uh, our services and our products and show the world what we really have because Puerto Ricans are very entrepreneurial and we're 
big entrepreneurs in the music industry and everybody knows who JLo is and who Ricky Martin is and now who Bad Bunny is. And, <laughs> 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 and not a lot of people know who our entrepreneurs are, right? And I think that for an island this small with uh, such a small population base for us to be major players in, in the music industry worldwide uh, is just, and, and also, you know, obviously in sports um, is, is amazing, but, but we, we can also have that type of impact worldwide with our entrepreneurs. Absolutely. No, I love that. And, you know, at Disrupt, uh, one of our core values is just increasing diversity in tech across the board. And if you look like who is, who's the P Diddy of tech, who's the J Lo of tech? Um, exactly. you know, we, we don't really have leaders in our communities, um, who embody those things and sports and entertainment is great. I don't want to take away from those no, accomplishments, great, yeah. but if you look statistically, right, if you learn to sing, your chances of becoming JLo are very slim. But if you learn to code, you don't need to become JLo to be able to support yourself coding. You know, Absolutely. you can you can go and, and, and work for a tech company and there's actually so much more opportunities. And I, I think the more that we can kind of push that needle, um, the the better. Um, and, and it does it does really boil down to um, to education and then thought leadership. So I, I think it's really great. All the events and the education that you guys are providing, um, because not only are you showcasing not only you're teaching, but now you're also showcasing the success stories. Um, like you said, having um uh, female leadership from, from, uh, popular bank and having like these people who are really talking about real things that they're doing, um, um, out in the universe. So what, what's, what's one thing about, um, the tech ecosystem in Puerto Rico, uh, that you think, uh, that you understand from your unique perspective, but that other people outside of the Island probably don't understand. Hmm. So I think we have a very deep understanding of the tech talent on the island. Uh, mm. And there's probably no one that has uh, the type of insights that we have because we, we obviously also train. Um, one of the things that we've been seeing from the very beginning of our entrepreneurship journey is that although we graduate about... 900 to 1,000 CS majors a year, most of those end up leaving um, to the States because obviously they get paid more there uh, and they they have better opportunities in many cases. Um, But we have started seeing sort of a shift in that as well. As the startup ecosystem has uh, gained traction and has become a lot stronger, Many of those CS majors are choosing to stay. Many of them are also actually taking classes at Code Trotters uh, to make their learning curve a lot more practical and shorter and so that they can get crucial internships and experience early on in the startups that are here. So those those are really good trends that we've seen. Um, I think there, there's still a lot of tech talent that is leaving the island, but they're much more connected to our ecosystem than they were in the past. And Definitely. so 
that's really great because they connect uh, other uh, students that are looking for remote opportunities and that are also leaving the island to go to Silicon Valley and other places. Uh, and in the end, they always come back and mentor and they even invest. You know, there are some uh, members of our community in the diaspora that are investing in local startups. And that's amazing because they're not just investing their money, but they're also investing their time in uh, and their expertise in in making sure that these startups have a higher degree of success. And so, so those are the types of things that are changing now in our ecosystem. And I think there is still a challenge ahead of how do we just get more developers in? How do we attract more developers from stateside and internationally to come live in Puerto Rico? and mm -hmm. also contribute to the ecosystem and have that knowledge transference take, take place as well. Uh, so I'd say that, that there are still challenges in the tech pipeline, but it is getting better and stronger every day. Definitely, and I think that's why it's so important to foster the, the startup ecosystem, the entrepreneurial ecosystem, uh, because then you're exporting ideas instead of your people, Correct. right? So you you want people to um, to grow their ideas in uh, Puerto Rico and then export them elsewhere. And it reminds me of you know what Silicon Valley and what San Francisco does a lot is they use the city of San Francisco as like a test bed for their ideas. So like Uber launched in California first. Um, you know, Curbside, which is this uh, kind of app where uh, you can shop on Target and Best Buy and they'll bring the stuff out to the curb for you. Uh, you know, and a lot of these other apps, Airbnb started out there. Um, they, they tested them in California, but then as soon as the idea was ripe, now they brought them internationally, right? So, you know, creating that startup and that tech ecosystem will allow the companies to still be headquartered in Puerto Rico, although they're having this global impact and having their ideas uh, really like spread worldwide. That's the idea. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and it reminds me of uh, my, my cousin who studied at the university in Puerto Rico and he and he left and now he's in Texas. And, you know, the reason is because of opportunities. Um, so the more startups that we can have uh, be founded and, and operating in Puerto Rico, it will it will prevent um, people from leaving the island. But I, I think it's really great that we fostered a community where even when people do leave, they are coming back and giving back in in. Um, both financially and, and also with their time and their resources and expertise. It's amazing. Yeah, that's what really is going to make the ecosystem sustainable over time, right? Um, we need repeat entrepreneurs and uh, <laughs> uh, folks that make it giving back and making the ecosystem stronger. Very cool. Um, all right, so last question. Sure. What does disrupt mean to you? It's a great question. So I think of disruption at an individual level, even though, of course, at a business, from a business standpoint, I'm always thinking of, about the next innovative thing that we can do to keep uh, our brand fresh and to open new markets. And the reason I say that is because in entrepreneurship, we're constantly talking about S-curves, right? And have you uh, reached the point in the curve where uh, you're really growing 
you're hitting maturity. And I think every individual also has an S curve. And I think the most successful companies are companies that recognize that their employees have their own S curves and they need to make sure that they're always challenged and they're learning new things. And that's what really, in the end, fosters that innovation because it's led by people, right? Uh, so disruption for me is something that is that is very individual and that uh, it goes Love from that. the individual to the collective. So I'm constantly worried about how I can make sure that my team uh, is up to the challenge and they're not bored and they're doing innovative things and new projects. Uh, and I think that every CEO should think about those things. Uh, they, they, should, they should recognize more that innovation happens from within. It happens from your people. You have to give people within your company the opportunity to grow within your company because you invested a lot of time and resources and training them and making sure that they're up to where they, where they are. And if you don't uh, continue to invest in their growth and development, they're just going to go to your competition right? And uh, you're not going to be innovative as a company. And so uh, many times companies come out with uh, new job descriptions and they post them out and look for, you know, the next C-level executive for their company instead of looking from within. And I'm sure that within there are probably a lot of really great candidates as well. And that's all part of it. So again, disruption for me is, is a personal journey. Uh, and it's, it's about making sure that disruption happens at every point in my company, but especially in my team. That's, that's amazing. I, I think the hashtag to kind of sum that up is, is disrupt yourself, right? Like constantly looking for self growth and, and disrupting each other, disrupting the human being. Yeah, there is um, a book, and, and right? I mean, who like... wrote Disrupt Yourself book? <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Very cool. Well, Sophia, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate, uh, like I said, all the work that you're doing and um, just who you are as a human being, just being being a ray of light for the entrepreneurial community um, on the island of Puerto Rico. If people want to connect with you, uh, what what's the best place to do that? Sure. Uh, thank you again for the opportunity, Anthony. This has been this has been great. And, you know, it's also awesome to be able to share our story and uh, where we are in our ecosystem. And we uh, would like to, you know, emphasize that Puerto Rico is a great place to start and scale. We're open for business. So if any of you out there are interested in moving to Puerto Rico, you should definitely consider it. Anthony will be coming down. So he's going to yeah. be here. Uh, and more I'll and more. be there with open arms. <laughs> exactly. And more and more <laughs> really cool and innovative people are heading out. So uh, you should definitely hit us up if you do. You can uh, contact us through our website, which is www.piloto151.com. Uh, you can contact me personally through Twitter at Sophia Stolberg. And we look forward to hearing from you. Awesome. Sophia, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Anthony, for the opportunity and have a good day. You too.